Hello everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today we are continuing our Washoe County School District conversation with Katie Simon-Holland, past chair of Washoe County School Board and present board trustee. Welcome back, Katie. Thank you, Sherry. Nice to be with you. Yeah, this has been um, a fun series. Have you enjoyed it? I have, and I really appreciate uh, your willingness to help us get out some of the facts about uh, what's going on at the school district, which uh, a lot of folks, of course, have experiences with the school district, many good, some bad, and uh, we want to make sure that they're getting the right information and, and really the, the correct facts about what we're doing. So I'm happy to have the forum. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'd love to come back and do another, a few more weeks after school's been in session for, say, four to six weeks. Would that be good for you? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm always happy to tell our story. Yeah, that would be just great. Well, last week we discussed distance, distant learning, and I think it was a great topic. I think people learned a lot about uh, distance learning for their children, uh, but this week's topic is culturally responsive practices in our school. But before we go into the topic for today, is there any new information on the reopening that you can share with us? I know that you had a board meeting, I believe, last week, and that there's an uh, important meeting on July 7th. That's correct. Thank you, Sherry. And uh, one of the things that has been uh, a concern that apparently was not made clear in our board meeting is that uh, every family will have the right to choose full distance learning if they want to. Um, there was some, some uh, misunderstanding that that was not going to be an option, and it will be. Uh, we have a, a K-12 online school, North Star School, and any any family that wants to choose distance learning for their child uh, can do so. So I just want to make that clear. And the other thing I wanted to make clear is that we really are trying to get our kids back to school, to get as many kids as we can back to school. That, that's our preference. Uh, everybody feels the same way about that, but we want it to be safe. We will be looking on the 7th at the results of our survey, which closed uh, on the 26th. We'll be looking at the latest information from the state and the new directives and, and certainly all the, all the information uh, that we have at the time. But one thing I just shared with you uh, is that we're looking at the possibility that different grade levels of kids might, uh, we might be able to have different solutions for different grade levels. So that's opened up a lot of possibilities and we'll, uh, we'll certainly have a, you know, very, robust public discussion on the 7th and hope to um, hope to be able to get the information out to folks uh, quickly after that. Well, that's fabulous. I think our podcast, our next podcast is a week from today. Um, let me, and that will be a little bit before the 7th, so. Yeah, it's actually the 5th. Or the, yeah. Or the 6th. It's the 6th, yeah. Well, maybe we'll have a special little piece with you after the 7th. Sure, and we have we will have the options that are being considered. We just won't have the board's decision yet. Got it. Got it. Well, you've given us such, um, such great information and kept people up to date. I think, that, um, I think that there's been so much effort put into keeping people informed as to what you're looking at and how you're looking at it. Um, the long distance learning 
uh, choosing the full option on that uh, means that that child would be homeschooled in a way. It's very different from homeschooling though, isn't it? Well, it, it is, um, and certainly some kids are much more independent than others depending on their age and their, uh, their educational progress. So, um, but we have kids that, that are now in full distance learning online school. Uh, and many children, older kids in high school, are able to do that without uh, having to have the parent be the teacher. But certainly the younger kids, it's really tough on the parents. Um, but we want everyone to know that that's an option. Uh, our, our, of course, our first choice is to get uh, kids back to school in the school buildings. And so we're working hard toward that goal and, again, making sure that we can do so safely. Fabulous. Uh, today's topic. Uh, very important, uh, very serious topic, and certainly one that's been in the news a lot lately. We're going to talk about culturally responsive practices in our schools. So what does that mean, Katie, culturally responsive practices in our schools? What does that look like? Well, it means that we support the achievement of all students uh, by providing teaching and learning in a, in a way that's culturally supported, that's got a learner-centered context, uh, and that means that, that we embrace everything, all the strengths that, that students bring to school, uh, and it, we embrace everything that makes our students who they are. That may be race, it may be ethnicity, it may be language, religion, socioeconomic status, gender identity, experiences. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's beyond just our normal uh, considerations of ethnicity, it's taking into account everything that makes those children who they are and building on the strengths that they bring to school, being responsive to them uh, as individuals and promoting their achievement. And how, how does the school district do that, Katie? Because that's, if we're, we're going beyond ethnicity and into cultural practices, how is it that the school di district can do that when there are so many different cultures that you have to take into consideration? Well, the first thing is about building meaningful relationships with students and families. Uh, it means that we communicate as often as possible with families through phone or text or email or face-to-face uh, -face meetings when we can. Um, you know, families often only hear negative information, and so we want to be communicating with families. We want our teachers and our counselors and our principals to be communicating with families in their context and with their individual circumstances. And then it means learning about our students through communicating with them openly. Um, we can use surveys. We take students aside and interview them individually for two or three minutes uh, throughout the day, throughout the week. And then we use a practice called restorative circles. And um, that is a big movement in our district, uh, restorative practices, where for example, if there's an altercation between two students, we don't rush to punish. We sit down with those two students and we try to understand what's happening. In many of our schools, uh, students will start the day in a restorative circle, talking about what's happening with them as individual people. Um, we also use a lot of strategies to generate what we call student voice. Uh, we actually have a student who serves on the Board of Trustees. Uh, we have a student voice conference every year where older students plan activities for younger students throughout the district. Uh, and we make sure 
that we are hearing from students. We have a student advisory council that advises the board and the superintendent. So giving students a voice and helping them learn to use their voice. And then things like inviting uh, diverse guest speakers. Uh, we have a multicultural graduation ceremony each year where uh, kids who are from uh, underrepresented groups that are graduating from high school get special recognition. We do festivals at schools, international festivals and language festivals. We have parent facilitators that uh, speak a variety of different languages so we can meet families where they are. So those are just some examples of some of the things we do. Well, that's, that's quite a few things that you do. Let's talk about, say, a kindergartner and a first grader. Um, how do you integrate this into kindergarten or first grade? Because that's such an important age for them to, to even understand their culture or to understand that we have a multicultural society. Well, one of the things we know, and this is not just new in our district, it's known throughout the country, every child has to feel welcomed and supported in the classroom. Uh, so that they feel safe and they feel respected and they can focus on learning. So it starts with making every child feel welcomed and supported and safe. Um, you know, we're a, we're a very diverse community. Uh, we're close to being a majority-minority district and we have about half of our students are on free and reduced lunch. Uh, so we have a very, very diverse population uh, and we have to make sure that we build, again, those meaningful relationships uh, that we um, that we differentiate instruction based on meeting students where they are. Uh, our English language learners, um, we have a, a very, very high expectation of their involvement and engagement and we support that for them. Um, I've really been uh, just really enamored of going into some of our uh, ELL classes and, and seeing the, the way that, uh, that they are honored for their, for their home language. Uh, and that they're respected for that. It's important that, that their native language, their home language, um, be as important to them as, as English is. So I'm assuming that the school district has special trainings for their teachers K through 12 on multicultural. Not only the teachers, uh, even the board of trustees. Um, all of our employees go through uh, training on culturally responsive practices. Our school bus drivers, our nutrition services workers, everybody in the district uh, is, uh, is asked to and encouraged uh, to take uh, equity training uh, and culturally responsive practices. And I can tell you it's, uh, it's very powerful. We, we at the board level have had several days of uh, equity and diversity training and learning about one's own implicit biases is a really powerful way to make sure that we, we steer the ship in the right direction. That's fabulous. And what about the culturally responsive practices in the school district? Who, who's responsible for that, Katie? Is there an administrative group that is responsible for making sure that it's being enacted in every grade and being done appropriately? Well, of course, um, we all take responsibility for it. Every staff member, every teacher, every principal, Every administrator, every board member is responsible for it. We also have a full-time equity and diversity department. Uh, and uh, last year we hosted, we were asked to host a national conference on equity and diversity in the schools. Uh, we had folks from all over the country and, uh, and Canada uh, come to Reno to 
learn about what we're doing here. Um, most of the districts, uh, school districts in the country, uh, if they have equity and diversity, it's, it's a person doing training who's there on a grant. And our, our full-time equity and diversity department is funded from our general fund. It's a, it's a full budgeted commitment of the board. And one of the things that the equity and diversity department does is help facilitate other folks in the district, whether it's a teacher, a principal, a counselor, or our central administration, when there's any policy or program or practice or decision, these folks remind us to consider, you know, what marginalized groups are affected or impacted by this policy or this pro program or decision? Um, does the program ignore or worsen existing disparities? How have stakeholders been involved, the people who are, who are affected by it? And who are the stakeholders? Um, what are the barriers to more equitable outcomes? And how will negative impacts and barriers be mitigated? So we, um, we try to look at that for every program and every practice. And again, it's everybody's responsibility in the district. The Equity and Diversity Department uh, is our, they're our guides. They're our advisors and our facilitators and our consultants for improving our practices. I, I'm not sure that the um, typical uh, citizen here knows that there's an equity and diversity department. I didn't know that. Uh, that would be a wonderful podcast just on its own to yeah, have yeah. somebody from that department on uh, or maybe an article about it because uh, I don't think most people are aware that you've gone to that extent to be able to assure that you have culturally responsive practices to have a department such as that. Yeah, and it's been there for, well, I'm, I'm, this is my fourth year on the board, and it, it was there long before I was. So hmm. um, this, this district has been at it a long time. I won't say that, you know, we don't have a lot of work to do. We do. We have a lot of work to do every day. Uh, we have disproportionality issues uh, with uh, kids who get suspended or uh, kids who have disciplinary action. Um, we have disproportionality, which means that there's a higher proportion of, say, for example, African-American students getting suspended mm -hmm. than the proportion of African-American students we have in the student population. Right. right. Uh, we, we have disproportionality in our graduation rates. So these have been big goals for this board. That they have, those have been goals in our, uh, in our strategic plan ever since I've been here that um, we will address that disproportionality. So we have a lot of work to do, uh, but we, we're, we're doing the work, and we're doing it uh, diligently and honestly and painfully at times. And how are parents involved in the Equity and Diversity Department? Um, every one of our schools has a plan for family engagement. They are required to have a plan for family engagement, uh, and it really goes far beyond, you know, back to school night and potlucks and bake sales. Um, it involves teachers visiting homes. Um, we have in many of our schools, most of our schools, have student-led parent conferences. So the student will actually prepare a portfolio and report on his or her own progress to the parent with the teacher there. Um, so it's a, it's a team effort. Um, but it really involves uh, getting parents engaged in decision-making. And again, every school annually is required to develop improvement plans, uh, and a school improvement plan team is, is assembled, and parents should be on those teams. We also do climate surveys every year, 
uh, and uh, students are asked to do the survey if they're old enough to be able to understand and participate. We have teachers involved in those climate surveys and we have parents involved in those climate surveys to talk about the climate of the school and how welcome parents feel. So we get lots of opportunities for parent involvement and parent feedback. Well, let's talk a little bit about the recent Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we know it's been very active here in Reno, Sparks area, certainly very active nationally. How has the movement impacted Washoe County School District? Will there be any changes that are made in sight of the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, as, uh, as I've intimated, the district has for years been deliberately uh, addressing institutional racism as we review all of our policies and practices. And of course, uh, the Board of Trustees and administration and schools regularly uh, review academic and behavioral data, looking closely at disproportionality. Uh, so those things have been ongoing. Um, last year, we began implementing a program to do annual training for all students in the Washoe County School District on race and sex harassment and dis discrimination, bullying, and how to file a complaint. So um, we will eventually get every student trained uh, in race and sexual harassment and discrimination and how to prevent that. And the training has four class lessons. Uh, last year, we started with all of the middle schools in the district, and this year, uh, we'll be providing to the classes additionally to students starting high school. So those are some of the things that um, that we've been working on and that, of course, we, we want to work on more. Uh, mandatory equity and diversity training for all teachers and administrators in preparation for this school year has been instituted with planned follow-up. So, And much of this, of course, will focus on the injustices impacting our families and staff as we consider opening schools. Well, that um, annual training, that leads me into uh, our next conversation, which is on the article that was in the Reno Gazette Journal by David Gamble called Growing Up Black in Reno. Um, he gives multiple examples of incidences of racism while he was a student at school, not by the school district, but by fellow students. It sounds like this annual training that you're looking at that you started in middle school uh, David, I think, now is uh, probably in his 30s. He's an attorney here in town. Um, annual training like that might have mitigated some of the things that happened to David. It, it could have. I think the, um, and I, I read, the, read the piece when it came out as well, and it was, it was very poignant. Uh, and, you know, he did a great job of reminding us all uh, that even among friends, um, People of right. color regularly endure biased and judgmental slurs and questions and assumptions. We we refer to those as microaggressions. And I think you know, as much as it's important for teachers to uh, to have that training, it's really important for our students to have the training. Um, in the most surprising ways, kids can be uh, cruel to one another, and uh, and we're we really have a lot of work to do on helping kids to embrace one another's differences and to understand and appreciate uh, those differences, that they, they make us greater and stronger. Uh, so working with, with students and student voice is going to be a big part of that. And again, you know, we have a, a Department of Civil Rights Compliance in the school district. It's part of our general counsel's office. And that, that office does the training with school staff and administrators on, you know, how they should handle 
complaints of bullying, harassment, or, or discrimination. So it helps support the school staff in knowing how to, how to address it. Uh, if a student makes a complaint either against a student or a staff member, school administrators are trained to create a safety plan for the complaining party, complete a prompt investigation, uh, and, and make sure there are consequences in compliance with state and federal law. So we want to make sure that the consequences ensure that the problematic conduct stops. Uh, but we're, we're definitely not perfect, and we've got, as I said, we've got a lot of work to do um, to make sure that, uh, that things go well for each one of our students. I will say that I mentioned restorative practices, and our legislature adopted legislation in the last session uh, mandating restorative practices. And as I said, when there's an altercation, we'll often bring the two <laughs> students together who are involved in the altercation. Well, one of the unintended consequences of the restorative practice legislation was that, um, for example, uh, we had a, a transgender student that was bullied by another student. The requirement with restorative practices is that we put those two people together and have a conversation. Now, sometimes that's a great learning experience, and sometimes it's terrifying for the person who's been bullied. So we've. We've got systemic issues to work on. Even when, even when society is trying to move forward, sometimes the unintended consequence is that it makes things worse. So a lot of work to do. Well, kids can be so hurtful to each other. I mean, it's, it's been going on for years. When you and I were in school and it doesn't seem to have stopped, only it seems like it's taken on a sort of a new and um, new issue of racism and diversity. Um, so starting your annual training down in even kindergarten, is there a thought that that would happen where we can teach children differences and to be kind? Well, we do do that now. Um, one of the things that the Washoe County School District is nationally recognized for is our efforts in social and emotional learning. Uh, and that has to do with self-management. It has to do with conflict resolution, uh, responsible behavior. And uh, it's amazing watching kids, when I go into the schools, as young as five, six, seven years old, learning how to appreciate differences, even just differences of opinion, um, rather than you know, throwing a temper tantrum when somebody uh, you know, wants my toy. <laughs> We're teaching kids to have different responses to conflict and to be able to, uh, to accept one another uh, to manage themselves better, uh, and so it, it starts in, in kindergarten, uh, and it isn't just about equity and diversity, it's about embracing one another's differences and making room for intentional, meaningful relationships between people. We know that racism seems to many like a huge issue to tackle, um, but combating racism in my opinion, takes a combination of small steps that add up to a huge step. And there are so many small steps that everyone can do. And I think that Black Lives Matter is teaching us the small steps that we can do. What are the small steps that you'd like to see Washoe County School District take in the next school year to combat prejudice and racism in our schools? Seems like you're doing quite a few, Katie. Are there any, any ones that you'd like to see added? Well, again, making kids feel safe at school has taken on a whole new meaning now uh, with COVID. Uh, we want children to feel safe uh, in their relationships, feel safe and valued 
Uh, and so we've, we've got to make sure that uh, every child feels that they are appropriately valued and protected. And uh, as we know, that's not necessarily happening right now with uh, the way the, the uh, COVID responses are, are being dealt with in our society. But that, that's going to be, we're, we're having to combine uh, an increased emphasis and, and, and shining a bright light on embracing differences while we're also trying to address the very individual needs of families around this devastating uh, virus. So, um, but yes, small steps will always be starting with me, starting with myself, and understanding my own implicit biases, understanding those microaggressions that happen all the time in conversations, um, whether it's staff or students or parents, We've got to make sure that we're doing as much as we can to call them out. You know, I, I read a great quote from James Baldwin, the African-American author, and he said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And that, I think, is the most important thing, that we all individually face our own biases and our own, the discrimination that we have and the prejudices that we have uh, and make sure that we teach love to our children. Um, another, another quote from James Baldwin I, I read this weekend, it demands great spiritual resilience not to hate the hater whose foot is on your neck and an even greater miracle of perception and charity not to teach your child to hate. And I think that's the work that all of us have to do, all of us. Well put, Katie. Thank you, Katie, for having this important conversation with us today. We've been discussing culturally responsive practices in our schools with Katie Simon-Holland, past president, Washoe County School Board, and current board trustee. Thank you, Katie, uh, for another great podcast. Thank you, Sherry. Before we go, can you give the website again where someone can um, report any sort of abuse? Uh, well, uh, Safe Voice is our... Um that's, a, that's for students as well as families. Um, let me make sure I get that phone number out for you. Um, where is my phone number? That website is www.safevoicenv.org. And the toll-free number is 833-216-SAFE or 833-216-7233. Those are... Uh, uh, Anybody who has an issue of abuse, uh, any kind of violence, uh, any kind of concerns of that nature, that is monitored 24 hours a day. And for more information about everything that's going on with uh, school reopening, folks can go to our website at www.washoschools.net. Thanks, Katie. I wanted to make sure we got out that information. Next week, Katie and I will discuss what our kids need from public education in Nevada. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and stay safe and wear your masks.